This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. A good customer experience requires more than just making the sale. It's taking a look and analyzing every little detail that pushes them further and further down the funnel. If you design it the right way, the customer experience should be serving the customer first while giving you the conversions you desire. As an experienced marketer, Jonathan Rowe, the chief marketing officer of Encino, a cloud banking solutions company, has welcomed the challenge of working in a highly regulated industry servicing big banks. From a customer perspective, one, make sure that they're getting the most value from what they purchase from your product. And that's being proactive in that, giving them that information. Two, it's making sure, so we've actually worked with our institutions. I've had marketing conversations with CMOs at banks just because they wanna learn some of our best practices, right? So how can your organization go above and beyond? And then third, help infuse your brands and your customers. Make them help sell your product. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Jonathan looks back at the exponential growth that he experienced at Encino. He looks back at his academic roots that he says laid the foundation for him that helped spur that growth. But behind the numbers and metrics, what separates Encino and its marketing department from its competitors is its company culture. And Jonathan and I go deep into how they've built that culture, what pillars he leans on and how he thinks about hiring and even recruiting talent. Learn more about the way he approaches team building, thought leadership, and great communication up next on Marketing Trends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron, Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. Thank you for stopping by. Today, we have an incredible guest. We've got Jonathan Rowe, Chief Marketing Officer at Encino in the studio, not live, but in the studio via Zoom. Jonathan, how are you today? I am fantastic, Jeremy. Thrilled to be here. Dude, I'm excited to have you on the show. We had a prep call with you and some of your team last week. And when we have an opportunity to, to connect with the guests prior to the show, for me, it always sets it up for like a really nice transition. And so I love the time we had. I want to brag on you a little bit, Jonathan, because the responsibility you have is great and, and your story seems really interesting. And so just for the listeners out there, other marketing leaders and CMOs. So Jonathan, as I mentioned, he serves as Encino's chief marketing officer. He helps fuel the growth for the worldwide leader in cloud banking. If you don't know Encino, they have like over 1,200 financial institutions on their cloud banking platform. They're massive. And Jonathan and his marketing team are responsible for a bunch of things, global branding, PR, 
conferences, creative design, digital product marketing functions. And this is interesting. Jonathan also, as CMO, oversees Encino's recruiting team and all employer and culture functions, which is amazing. Uh, he's been at Encino since year one. And I want to get into the path and getting there too, because that's real interesting. But Jonathan, dude, I love your background. And I think this is, is going to be exceptional. So first question, just for context for our fellow CMOs and heads of marketing out there or marketing in general, where are you from? So the, the short answer is I grew up in Connecticut. My adult life is in North Carolina. I spent time in Boston for grad school, New Zealand for a PhD. Wow. Okay. Well, you mentioned some places I'd, I want to go. One, New Zealand. I have not been there. Do you recommend that? Jeremy, I would actually, when we get off this recording, I would book your ticket. That's how amazing New Zealand is. Yes. Okay. Nice. I'm curious about your background because as I was kind of researching you a bit and kind of seeing your, your path, according to LinkedIn, if you will, I saw you spent time at IBM project manager. Then you got into the director for UNCW Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship for like six, seven years. Then it looks like you jumped over to Encino almost 10 years ago. Now it says you were director of research, which I think that's still happening now. And then now, of course, CMO. I'm just curious about the path there of like, because to me, it's like Encino, big brand, lots of people doing big things. And then you have this incredible opportunity to join and be the marketing leader there. How did that unfold for you? My first job at a, at a college, right, was at IBM, which great company, great corporate experience. And I think, you know, it's important as for all of us, as you sort of build your career, you figure out what you like and don't like or where you fit and don't fit. Because I think, you know, one of the things with marketing that makes people successful is when you believe and have a passion for what you're marketing, right, and what you're representing. Um, and not that I didn't at, at IBM, I was very young, but since the time at IBM and then spent a bunch of time getting degrees. I got a grad degree, PhD, and then became a professor and yeah, director of the Entrepreneurship Center at UNC Wilmington, uh, which was fantastic. And I, I really enjoyed that, that part of my career. And long story short, here in Wilmington, um, there's a bank called Live Oak Bank, and there was some technology that was, was kind of coming about. And I happened to have a meeting because I used to bring guest speakers to my class. And gentleman Pierre Nade, who's one of the founders of Encino, the CEO since day one, first time I met him, I was expected to be talking about interns um, because as a good professor, I want to make sure I help students with their careers. And literally five minutes into breakfast, Pierre asked me, you know, what, what could he do to have me join Encino, which at the time was literally, I mean, weeks old with, I'm not even sure the customers yet. And so I stepped away from academia and uh, it's been an incredible journey. And I think the one thing I would add to that, I think too, for all the listeners and marketers, because it isn't about me, but I think one of the, the things that's really made this marketing team special that I'm part of is we have a mix of different backgrounds. You know, It's not just everyone who comes from marketing. We have people who were new in their careers right out of school, folks who have incredible PR background, folks who come from totally different industries and backgrounds in marketing. And I think it's that collective combination that's really worked. Like, I, you know, I always joke, if you were to hire a CMO, um, maybe now I'm more of a better applicant, but if you were hiring a CMO years ago, you, you wouldn't have thought twice about me. I made no sense. Wow, that's really cool. I love this serendipitous event, not really according to maybe your plan, but starts to kind of unfold in this really cool way. And all of a sudden, there's the door that opens of this opportunity. And you didn't know that stepping into that door would certainly lead to some really cool experiences. So when you started, so you were like marketing team of one, like when you joined Encino, were you like the first person on the marketing team? Yep. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Okay. So just in terms of like being a marketer and like 
being a tactician and being able to execute marketing campaigns and build these things out. Had you already been doing some of that prior or was this literally like, hey, I want you to come. I want you to learn in mid-flight while we build this thing. What did, what did that look like? So I signed up, left the academia, literally my first day. Again, Pierre, I walked into the what was literally a corner of a building with a table with 10 of us around it. And Pierre said, we need somebody to do marketing. You should do marketing. And that's kind of how it started. And so you know, we have a saying at Encino, which I love, which we hire for attitude and train for skills. So I, I would like to think I have a great attitude, um, but I've learned a lot along the way, Jeremy. And I, I think to me, I've, I've been, again, blessed with, with some interesting experiences, but I, what I appreciated more was I never expected an academic background to transfer necessarily to, to a startup and now a high growth company. But I think you know, marketing is really about educating. You're educating a lot of stakeholders, whether it's partners, whether it's potential clients, whether it's customers, whether it's investors, whether it's your employees. That to me was a very early realization that really it's about education. That was kind of a helpful start for me. So in terms of kind of how you approach marketing now, like, is there a certain way that you approach it? Because you have this cool background, it's weaved and twisted, and now you've been there almost 10 years. How do you approach marketing now? How do you view that? It goes without saying, it it starts with the team, right? And it, it, it varies, right? I've been a team of one, you know, I'm now a team of over 80 people. And so your role evolves as a company evolves. But I, I think it's always very important for any marketer to have that experience on the front lines, right? The nuts and the bolts of marketing early on. And so to me, there's there's a lot of things obviously that have changed. Um, you and I have talked about that, right? Things that have changed from a marketing perspective. But I think some of the fundamentals are still there. I mean, first and foremost, who are you selling to? Make sure you truly understand your target market. It sounds so simple, but when you understand who you're selling to, you can then ask yourself the next two or three questions, which is, where do those people go? What do they look at? What are their interests? And that's even before you get to what is your message. And so it's really, again, and that transfers to digital, transfers to conferences. So I think that's one. And then the second, and then I'll, I'll, I'll pause for a second. It's not about you, right? It's not about you. It's not about your company. At the end of the day, so we sell to financial institutions. I know those financial institutions, those executives, all those people who work at the institution, they get up every day. They care about their institution. They care about themselves and they care about their clients. And so as an organization, if you're getting up and saying, hey, look how great we are, nobody cares, right? How are you adding value? How are you making somebody's life better? How are you making their stomach happier, right? How are you saving them time? How are you making them more efficient? How are you making their customers happy, right? Fundamental questions. And so those would be kind of the two things that I would step back and think about. Um, I know we'll talk about brands. I have a lot of passion around that as well, but it's really understanding your target market. So you can then define what do they look like? What do they interact with? How can you reach them? And then thinking about your message from an empathetic standpoint in terms of the value that they're going to derive your end customers from what you're trying to do versus making it about you. Were there early kind of marketing leaders that you turned to back in the early days or, you know, were there resources that you kind of went to to kind of begin to to build the marketing toolkit there? What were some of the things you did in the early days to just help inspire you, put you on the right path? What did that look like? Great question. I wish that this podcast was around, Jeremy, because that would have helped (laughs) me a lot. Um, But I think, you know, for me, it was a couple of things. I think about Salesforce, right? So Encino has partnered with Salesforce. We use their platform. We've worked with them since the beginning. I think something that really stood out to me with them was just the energy and enthusiasm their users have for the company and the software. And so you want to create raving fans of your product or your service. And so that was one of the things that that stuck very 
early on with me and seeing in Salesforce, and we've talked about Mark Benioff, the founder there, how do we create, again, banking is traditionally thought of as sort of a, a boring, methodical industry, but you think about it has everyone's money. You, you, we put all our money in the bank. That's one of our most precious assets, right? And, and how important that is. And so I was hopeful to be, you know, create some excitement and energy and raving fans around our software, right? And our brands. And I think that that was one. Another one I think of is what I'll call is SaaS, um, which is also a software company, German, German-based. I remember this is years ago. They did a whole ad campaign. It was around all the different companies that use SaaS. It would be a very simple poster or an image of say BMW, and it would just say, use a SaaS. And so to me, again, back to what we just talked about, have your customers tell the story for you. Because again, at the end of the day, if you can't tell your story good, then you're not a good marketer, that's table stakes. But getting your customers to stand up on a stage, to be captured in a video, all of those different things, to have a press release, to talk about how your software has benefited them, how, how it's helped their institution in the partnership with your company. That was number two, is really focusing on the customer. And then I think the third one, and then again, I'll, I'll pause. I think about Apple, right? You think about all the events and things that Apple does. It, it's a production, right? It's not just somebody going on stage to go through a bunch of bullet points from a slide. It is every little thing is a production. And obviously they're announcing products and they've created a great ecosystem. But again, as a startup company, when you're small, you want to look bigger and you want to build reputation. You want to build credibility. And so when you go on stage, again, I'm still astounded, even virtually these days, all these slides with all these words, right, that people go through and that that's okay, but that's average, right? You really want to think about a production. So those would be some of the, the things that sort of I've leveraged or thought about. I like how you kind of attached early on to some of these brands and saw what they were doing. What are some of the big wins, you know, think year one, I, I kind of want to think at that in the early stages, like, because look, you know, you said yes to the opportunity to join. That doesn't mean that it's going to be successful. That doesn't mean this thing is going to ever go anywhere. Clearly, you fast forward to where we're at now. It was a good move. Were there some big wins that you're like, wow, we got something? Or did that come later? A, a couple things. And again, I think about all the different stages, right? And all the audience. So one of the first things I did, and I don't know, if I won't put you on the spot to make you guess, Jeremy, because it's maybe one of those crazy things. But I joined Encino not to be part of a, a, a small 10-person company, right? We really wanted to change an industry and build a global company. And so literally one of the first things I did was put a sign on the wall. Um, and I can grab it here if we have a second. Yes, 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 definitely. This is awesome. Everything we do represents a billion-dollar brand. Oh, I love that. Wow. So I literally put that on the wall because... Again, I think this is true of any, but even if you're a small business, you know, what do you aspire to be? How do you want your employees thinking about every day when they walk in or take a phone call or make a product or do a service delivery? How do you want them thinking about your business? And so to me, one of the things you realize in marketing is you don't own the brand. You're a steward of the brand. You may help set direction for the brand, but your employees own the brand, your customers own the brand, all your partners, your like all these different people. And so to me, in those early years, to your question, I wanted us to look and feel like a billion dollar company. And so that started with having a website that just didn't look like a website we threw together. And, and some of these things take money and they take time and they take research, but to do it right, you want somebody, especially nowadays, I mean, it goes without saying a website is equivalent of a storefront nowadays, right? And so you should spend the time and hopefully the money in doing that because that oftentimes is one of an individual client's or prospective client's window into your business. And so it also went to me, I mentioned sort of the customer stories, but also public relations. And I think this is true even of local businesses and smaller markets as it is for global companies. Having 
others talk about you and cover you and talk about your product and all those things, that is more powerful. And so we invest in a PR agency. Literally the first investments we did was a website, a video uh, about our company. As soon as we could get a customer and get a story, we did that, but also a PR firm. Those were some of the initial things. And by the way, I can talk about that sign is now $30 billion because we, we passed a billion dollars. And, and to me, I'm also a firm believer. If you paint the target of what you want to be in your mind and what you represent, I believe that's half, if not three quarters of the way to getting there. That might've been my favorite mic drop moment on this show. From our perspective at our, our company, we're growing and things are moving and we're kind of in the early stages of a lot of explosive growth too. And that, that that's very meaningful for us as a team. And so I love how you put that vision on the wall of like, Hey, just in case you ever forget, like, this is where we're going and this is the reality. Oh, and by the way, fast forward, we're well beyond that now, which is really a testament to, man, having clarity of vision of where you really want to go and then getting buy-in. How did you get buy-in from everyone? Because one thing is to be the guy or or gal that put the cool stuff on the wall that's inspiring, but that doesn't mean you're going to get buy-in. How did you actually begin to get buy-in from all the stakeholders throughout all the team, you know, in those days? You know, I think it it was a couple of things. One, it was to make sure everyone realized what they do matters from a brand and reputation standpoint. I, I, again, I think of simple examples. If, if you're working in a restaurant, the cook in the back, like the food that they're making, washing the dishes, like all of that matters. And so if they understand and see the value that that has and what that represents, people take more ownership in what they're doing. And so at Encino, yeah, every line of code that's written, like that matters. Every email we send, our support team sends to customers or every interaction they have, that all matters. You know, sending our accounts receivables on time, right? All of those things. Again, they're simple things, but they all add up. And so to me, it was really explaining to everyone that their role in representing the brand and how important that was. And then two, and we can talk a little more about this. I know you've already brought it up, but recruiting and cultural brands. I think that was the other thing. We really defined core values at Encino in terms of what, you know, something simple, which is do the right thing. It's so simple, but that value has been with us since day one as as employees, which is if you think there's something that either we're not doing right or you see an opportunity to do something, I'll give you a great example. Like we had somebody travel recently and they were at a, a customer site and they found out, you know, a customer had sort of been dealing with some difficult things and they just went out and bought them a gift card for dinner, right? To take care of their family one night so they don't have to worry about food. And some companies, you have to get approval, you have to do things. And I understand, right? That's money and it all adds up in different ways, shapes and forms. But let me tell you, doing that, it's the right thing to do, no matter if they buy software from us or not. And so I think it goes back not only to making sure everyone understands their role in building the brand and what the brand is supposed to represent and what you want it to represent, but secondly, having values that are meaningful for employees at the company. You're at a really cool space in your career, Jonathan, where you can speak to some of the most senior CMOs that I know we've connected with. We've had brands across the Fortune 500 on and the tenure of the CMO always kind of varies. I think you might be, if I'm correct, you might be the first CMO that has been at a company for that long in that marketing leader role. We have folks that, like you, are about to step into that leadership role or have been either preparing for it or they're about to get ushered into it. What would you share to an incoming CMO that is not experienced? And then what would you share to a CMO that's been in a brand for five, six, seven, eight plus years? One of these, I'm going to need your advice and help too um, on this. But I think, you know, part of the answer is, right, it depends on the stage of company you're joining, right? How big is your team? Because obviously when I was a team of of one or even a team of 10, right, I was much more involved in some of the day-to-day execution. Whereas when you have a team of 80 plus, 
as much as I do dive in and out, just because I have a true joy of working with my colleagues and being, you know, in the weeds, if you will, on some of the marketing stuff, you become a little more higher level, right? Setting direction, setting strategy, and making sure we're thinking ahead, you know, and never getting stale with what we're doing. The best way I'd frame the answer to your question is think about, you know, how I've benefited from the different stages of Encino to be a, a really good CMO. I mean, there's a leadership component, of course, with leading people and managing people, but I think it's, you know, it's to have not necessarily a deep understanding, but enough of an understanding of the different facets of marketing, right? To be able to understand, you know, what it's like to plan a conference or an event. And even if it's not your strongest, you like, I know I'm not great at conferences and events, but I was very involved in that in the early days. And I learned a lot and I made mistakes. And unfortunately, we have great people now doing that and getting me out of the way. But I think it's helpful that I had that experience. Same with PR. I grew up in a creative family. So the creative stuff comes very, very naturally to me and something I enjoy. But the fact that I think I was exposed. So I think for, for folks who are coming in who are new um, in a marketing role or marketing leadership role, I think finding ways to expose yourself to all the different areas of marketing. And part of that is reading and research, but part of it might be just going to events or being involved. If you have a large team getting involved in some of the events and some of the details to learn. So I think that's that's one part of it. And then the other one too is I think different marketing people, you, you know, you play different roles as you as you grow and as you expand. And I think marketing leaders, it's really good, especially if you're handling multiple parts of marketing, is to have what kind of that left brain, right brain, you know, to be able to go from the creative side to also the data analytical side. Because I think if you get too data analytical, you can just get caught up in what the numbers tell you. And you sort of, to me, it's, it, I guess the best way I describe it is an art and a science. And so, you know, marketing people have to be as comfortable in a museum, looking at art and enjoying that and seeing things and critiquing and all that as they do looking at spreadsheets, right? And dashboards and reports and looking at all the digital data and understanding what that means. I think great marketing leaders have both experience and exposure and have enjoyment with balancing both of those things. Modern day marketing leaders are at this really interesting intersection of product, and finance and operations, certainly sales. You know, they really looking at the the wheel, their, their spoke kind of touches all aspects of, of the business. And, and these days it seems like like you said, this you have to have be really good at this art and science of balancing all of those things, having trust and rapport with all the stakeholders, being able to dive into the nitty gritty when you need to or when you should. That balance is tough, especially in a fast, high growth you know machine like Encino. What does it look like now for you to kind of sit at the helm of marketing and be able to, of course, be serving and supporting this team, be at this intersection of all these really interesting and important facets of the business? Do you find this kind of art and science you know, have you kind of cultivated it to be a bit easier now? What are the challenges now as a CMO being there almost 10 years at this really interesting intersection of all these other functions of the business? I think marketing at most organizations is underappreciated for the role it can play for the very reason that you, what you just said, because I always like to think of marketing and, and we've been very fortunate and, you know, our CEO has always been a huge supporter um, as is our president of the marketing organization, the role it plays, because marketing is kind of like Switzerland. To your point, we have all those interactions with all the stakeholders internally and externally. And you expect sales, the sales team to have a very, very sales-oriented perspective. They should, right? It doesn't always mean it's right. It doesn't always mean it's wrong, but they should have that view. 
good marketing organizations see all that and get all that information in, and they're able to provide very objective and often very strategic points of view. And so I think it's been great at Encino. I think it's one of the reasons for our team's success and the impact we've had is marketing plays that role. We have a voice, right? Because we are very objective. So I think that's part of it. And then the other thing too is, again, in those leadership roles is the ability to switch gears. It's the ability to be looking at a spreadsheet while you're in a museum and looking at the art at the same time and be able to switch gears and think about what does that data mean while also saying, gosh, you know, that image, I'm not sure it looks right or it's too busy or has too much information. And then be able to go from a digital conversation to a conversation around a conference and events um, that you're planning or a conversation around a press release or an article or prepping somebody to give a presentation, a webinar, the ability to constantly switch gears, but also not control things and dominate things, but to empower, advise and coach and educate. In terms of just marketing to banks, right? Because to me, there's got to be a whole host of challenges in marketing to banks. And so thinking about some of the maybe biggest challenges, like what what is one of the biggest challenges in marketing to banks? Like where are their concerns and how do you kind of address them in your messaging? Years ago, and this is kind of pre-pandemic when people were working more from home at, at every sort of industry, but YouTube banks are notorious for security, right? There's a lot of regulation at banks, right? For a lot of reasons. And oftentimes Facebook, YouTube, you know, a lot of sometimes the channels that you'd use are blocked at a bank. So when you're sitting and working at a bank, you can't access a lot of those things. And, you know, you think about a marketing person like, geez, our, our YouTube videos are really important, right? How are we going to get those through? And so, you know, again, we, we sort of used our website and sort of built our own sort of, if you will, um, video players. Now with the pandemic, YouTube has opened up a lot more as it's been more of a resource. Um, so I think one is, it's, again, it's back to understanding your audience. What channels do they engage with? What channels they interact with? Bankers, I shouldn't say surprisingly, but they tend to still read a little more. And so, you know, in a lot of industries, you may say, I'm not going to write a document that's longer than two pages because nobody's going to read it. And I think that's true universally. But I think in banking, folks are still reading, you know, a good deal of information and they also like research. And so for us, it's really from a customer perspective. You know, especially again, I think the pandemic has influenced a lot of different things, but it's it's being a thought leader. You know, it's really understanding our ability to, again, not go to a bank and say, "Hey, we know how to do things better than you," because obviously you never want to do that. But to go in and challenge and share research and share data, because now to your point, now that we've built up 1,100 customers, we're learning a lot around the industry and how do we share that back to the point about what we talked about with Salesforce, kind of creating these this community of raving Encino fans where. Again, we entered an industry where a lot of the banks are competitors and they used to never talk to each other. And here we are, you know, almost 10 years later, and we bring together all types of institutions that compete against each other, that have employees go between different places that even are across the street from each other and they're all kind of sharing best practices. And so I think, again, kind of the long answer to your question is one, it's, it's really about kind of highlighting those customer stories, right? being honest about an industry and also challenging your customers, right? Because your goal is to help them and to understand, again, not from just that selfish, hey, we want to sell something point of view, but from an industry perspective, you know, where are things going? What's changing the industry? What do you need to keep top of mind? What is it about Encino that, you know, in the way that it's operated, that's helped it win the trust of Wells Fargo, for example, right? I mean, Wells Fargo, massive, amazing brand. We had their CMO on this show, I think last year. And you know, you talk about a financial institution at scale and winning the trust of a brand like Wells Fargo. How are you able to do that? 
you know, I think obviously Wells Fargo and huge fan um, of, of what they're doing. And they've also had to navigate a lot of challenges over the last few years, right? And I think when you have an organization that large, you have so many different moving parts, it's hard sometimes to get your hand around that. And so I think to me, what I think for us was really, I think Wells Fargo, and, and again, I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but I think, you know, they're trying to move forward, right? With what do they represent for all of their clients and for the future of their organization, right? And to go back to being a leader in the industry, you know, I think it was as much about the product as it was about us as an organization. You know, some of our principles, you know, what we stand for, our software provides transparency, right? For employees at the institution, but also for their customers. And so that's a great thing. And so again, I think back to that idea of how are we going to help Wells Fargo we're going to allow them to be more efficient. We're going to allow them to be more transparent, right? We're going to allow them to manage the regulatory, some of the challenges they've had historically. And that's a great thing. And also, I think the partnership and where they're trying to go from a leadership perspective, you know, they're trying to have the right message and partner with organizations who they think represent the right thing in the industry. And so I think a lot of those were some of the reasons. I also think it's why, you know, very, very rarely do you see a bank of that size want to put out a press release a couple months, right? After agreeing to, to partner together in our case for the software. Um, but we did because we jointly felt that was a really important message, not just for Wells Fargo and Encino, but for the industry as a whole. Do you have any favorite campaigns that you've worked on in the past couple of years? What, what are some of the metrics kind of elements of the things that you use to gauge the success of it? Or one or two, if you have a couple. I think a couple that come to mind, again, it comes back to you don't have to necessarily be an expert in the industry, but you have to be aware and as a good marketer, take in a lot of information. So, you know, the generational conversation, you think about banks, banks are dealing with baby boomers, a lot of people retiring. They're dealing with people graduating college who are unsure about checking accounts. They're dealing with all these sort of challenger institutions and folks like Amazon and Apple creating credit cards and disrupting the industry. You've got a lot of these different things. And so one of the things we did a, a couple of years ago that, that was really helpful is we really focused on the different generational gaps. And again, we're talking about marketing, target market a number of times. We want to help our banks understand the different segments within the different generations and what people care about, what millennials versus Gen Z versus Gen Y which versus baby boomers. And so we put together a ton of research. We worked with a number of third parties and experts to do that. I mean, we would get invited to speak at banks, some or existing customer bases. We went and spoke to their boards. Um, we'd get invited to speak to, at conferences and events. Again, not as a paid and not to go up there and say, hey, look how great Encino is, but to go up there and talk about this really important thing in the industry that we thought would help banks. So I think that was one. Two is probably more recently. Again, every marketing person is thinking about digital. And the same is true for financial institutions, right? They're thinking they want to make sure that you, Jeremy, if you want to have any interaction with the bank, you should be able to do that on your app or online if you want to go into the branch or not. It shouldn't matter. And so how do you think about that? And how do you target your message? And so when you think about when we th went through the pandemic, there was a lot of the PPP loan program, which was getting um, government funding to small businesses through financial institutions. I was just blown away by how quickly we pivoted. I mean, you think back to probably where you were literally, you know, a little over a year and a half ago into where we are now. I remember when that happened and how quickly, and all of a sudden there's this sort of freeze with financial institutions. Well, we as a, a marketing organization immediately adjusted our message to very much focus on the small business and banks and how can we help them with a lot of these PPP loans. And we, we did that within days. And, and again, it's an extraordinary thing in the measurements were wonderful and the impact was wonderful. But I think that also goes back to being a great marketer. You have to be able to pivot and adjust. 
you can't just assume the way things have, have worked for you historically are going to be the same and are going to work for you going forward. And you have to have your ear to the ground about what's happening in the industry to be able to change and have a team that when they see that, they change with you collectively. Because you and the team there have really doubled down on the customer experience, that, are, that kind of sets you up for success in the pandemic, right? It's like you were already you know, thinking about and already probably had raving fans and already doing a lot of this due diligence. And now it's like, well, here we go. Now we've really got to double down on customer experience. There's a line on Encino's website that speaks to the company's commitment to ensure a customer-centric approach. When it comes to kind of catering to this experience, customer experience, we've talked about this a little bit today, but I'm curious if there, are there any kind of unique ways that you're doing that, that you're actually catering to the customer experience? Reputation and trust is one of those things that takes a while to build and is very easy to lose. I think about our customer relationships. We have great software, right? We have wonderful software that does incredible things. I'm going to, I'm going to put that aside because it's more than just that. Because it's like any technology. You know, How many times have you purchased a product or an app and you either struggle to use it or you paid for something and it doesn't feel like you're getting the value from it? Have you ever proactively gotten a call from somebody to say, hey, how can I help you get more value from your product? And you know, obviously, we're a B2B business. We do have some B2C thoughts with how we do things, but primarily, we're a B2B business. And so we spend a lot of time on what we call customer success, Jeremy, which is one, making sure our users, our financial institutions are using the technology they purchase and also helping them understand as an institution, how do they benchmark against other similar institutions? How are they performing? That's really, really important data to have. I think that's one part. And then two, and this goes back to marketing the brand. I want raving fans of Encino, right? Because of our software, because of our people and company, but also because of our brand and a great story. And this is stuff that's happened sort of organically. There's a financial institution um, that's sort of the Midwest. And there's somebody at the institution who's called Encino Man. And he literally dresses up. He's a banker. He works for the bank. And he dresses up in this costume with this cape. And he's called Encino Man. And maybe he does this virtually now. But before the pandemic, he ran around the office, right? He'd do this every couple of weeks to create awareness about the software within the bank because they want to use it, right, to get value. And there's always things like, you know, everyone talks about swag. And yes, yeah, swag's important. But take it a step further. You know, we, we did socks, branded socks way back in the day. I've got my toboggan, you know, now that we're getting into winter, fun things like that. So it's that combination. So to your, the long answer to your question is, one, from a customer perspective, one, make sure that they're getting the most value from what they purchase from your product. And that's being proactive in that and giving them that information. Two, it's making sure. So we've actually worked with our institutions. I've had marketing conversations with CMOs at banks just because they want to learn some of our best practices, right? So how can your organization go above and beyond? And then third, help infuse your brand at, at your customers. You know, make them help sell your product. Again, if somebody loves this hat and they run around with it and they wear it in the winter or put the beach towel out, those are great things for them. They're great things for us too. And everyone wins. You have a great line in a previous article when you touch on company culture, and how marketers must sell it because nobody will sell your company culture better than you. How are you not just promoting the culture at Encino, but also within your own department? Like, how does that pour over into your hiring practices? I think, you know, and again, it's easier if, if you're a marketer at an existing organization, it's easy to say, hey, you should put recruiting and marketing. But I would say as importantly is that relationship between HR and marketing at a lot of those, you know, traditional organizations, the way they're structured. But to me and to us at Encino, 
Recruiting is a sales and marketing effort, as is the cultural brand. And it has to be real. You have to have an authentic culture. You can't go out and say, hey, we have this cultural brand that equals X. And every employee thinks it's actually Y. It has to be authentic and real. And so if you're in an organization where maybe the culture needs some work, that's where you should focus first before going out and branding. But I'm going to give you a quick example of something that always, I shouldn't say drives me crazy, but how many websites have you been to that have stock photos on? So many, so many, yeah. Tons, yeah. right? And, and that's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's as a marketer, it's super easy to just buy the stock photo because it looks right, everything's set up. But think about if you're an employee at your company, think about what you, it's, it's like, here's the analogy I use. If you buy a frame for a picture at the store, right? And it comes with that generic family in it. You don't go home to your house and put that frame on the shelf or something and leave that. You put your own picture there. And so if you're an employee of the organization and your organization doesn't have pictures of you on their website or your customers, to me, that's crazy. And I know it's easier said than done, but to me, these are things that set companies and marketers apart. And so for us, back to the culture, if you go to our website, and I appreciate you, you mentioning that, you kind of feel our culture. We have a whole section on our website devoted to our culture because one, we think we have an amazing culture. We think we're an amazing place to work. We think our customers buy from us as much for the software as they do for our company and our people. But also it attracts great talent. You mentioned how you guys are growing a business. It's tough to find great talent out there because great talent has lots of opportunities and they want to pick and choose where they work and where they contribute and where they grow their career. And so for us, we really want to make that culture and our employees feel part of this journey and to show how important they are and have others outside the company see that. The competition for marketing talent is at an all-time high. There's a lot of organizations shifting to this hybrid work environment. It's not new. But how has this created new challenges for you when it comes to retaining and bringing in new talent? Like, how have you had to kind of rethink your hiring practices? You know, again, I'm standing in our, our Encino headquarters. And if you come to Encino headquarters, it's super exciting, right? Everyone's in the office. The energy levels here are amazing, just like they are in, in many of our other offices around the world. But virtually, sometimes it's hard to recreate that. And so, I think from that standpoint, a couple things. One, I think the what I'll call the onboarding process. So when, when you hire an employee now, you know, traditionally you may have training sessions, you may have a lot of face-to-face. How do you help onboard somebody virtually, right? How do you go about that? How do you make them feel part of the brand? So again, very quickly, and these are examples to me of, of what a great marketing team we have at Encino is after the pandemic hit, we started sending swag boxes. Again, the long answer to your question is, you know, you have to think a little differently and you have to adjust and evolve. And you can't assume this is brand new for all of us, right? We're all kind of figuring it out. Sometimes it's okay to say, hey, we're going to try things. Some things are going to work. But I think, you know, from an onboarding perspective, making sure as best you can, you can make that experience as equal as it would be if everybody was in person. I think that's really important. And how do you get your culture to come across, you know, over a screen? And it's that passion, right? And it's having, again, you could be interviewing anyone at Encino, and I feel very confident they would tell you about our six core values and how important our culture is. And that, you know, yes, that's a part of of marketing. And I think we've helped build that, but it's because it's authentic and people feel that from the day they start talking to us. Our recruiting team, as I mentioned, you know, recruiting to me is sales and marketing. When our recruiting team gets on the phone or sends a LinkedIn message or has a conversation, they're thinking about how can I show this person how awesome Encino is for them as a company and why they th- they'd be better off for their career coming here. And so 
I think it's making sure you have that new employee experience, have a lot of marketing touch and feel throughout, not just an HR experience, but a marketing experience as well. You know, thinking about the communication, thinking about little things like boxes and things you can send people that have the brand as part of it. Um, and then also from a how do you track and hire great talent? You need to have a great culture and you need to have a reason, just like you have to have a reason why people are going to buy your product. You have to have a reason or reasons why somebody's going to join your company. That's awesome. And clearly, you know, the proof is in the pudding. When you get the American Banker number one place to work recognition, culture has got to be a focus of the leadership. It's clear that, you know, Encino is an organization that doesn't just talk about culture. I can tell certainly from this interview that this is something that's infused in that organization. And that's really beautiful. So I'm not surprised to see the momentum that, you know, you're experiencing. One thing I'd add, Jeremy, again, is I think about the audience here. As a marketing team or a marketing individual, how can I influence and help our cultural brand? It is so, so important. It's so easy to zoom in to all of the, what's the strategy? What are we building? What are we measuring? And then all of a sudden we'll zoom out and actually, what about the culture? And what, you know, and really it's just so important, not just paying lip service to that. And I think it's, that's really valuable and I appreciate that. Let's get into the uh, Salesforce kind of lightning round, some fun questions, and uh, we'll wrap up. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Jonathan Rowe, Chief Marketing Officer at Encino. Question number one, what did you enjoy most about living in New Zealand during grad school? Sheep. <laughs> That's amazing. Full stop, <laughs> sheep. Okay, I love it. No joke. I literally, I, where I lived, I had three sheep in the backyard. <laughs> That's amazing. Love them. Okay. They're great. Sheep are amazing. That's fantastic. What do you do to actually keep up with trends? Ironically, I probably should spend more time reading about marketing, but I like reading about other industries and other things that are happening. I like reading around science. I like reading about art. I like reading about a lot of artists, different countries, movements, things that are very cutting edge. I like things that stimulate my mind, right? And do a couple things. I think validate what we're doing challenge me and challenge our team to think differently and also educate. I learn every day. That is one of my goals to continue learning. Um, I'm, a, I'm a sort of put me up for the lifelong lear learner category, but I constantly want to learn. So I think it's not just reading in one area. I like to read in a lot of different industries around a lot of different people and back to that kind of art and science mentality. What is the most important leadership trait you've cultivated over the years? I always get anxious, nervous, calling myself a, a leader because um, I am part of such a great team. But I think the educational background, my goal as, as a leader, a manager, if you will, and Sino is basically to make everyone else successful. To me, these are, are simple things um, that, you know, I'm not saying they're right or wrong, but it's just that I've learned over the years as our team has grown, if I can do everything I can to make everyone else on the team successful, I know I will be successful. I know our company will be successful. I know marketing will be successful. Finish this sentence. Something I keep learning again and again is how much I still have to learn. If I had unlimited creativity and support, I would create a piece of art that is in the Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art. Love that one. Uh, what do you love and appreciate about yourself? Oh, goodness. Um, that I try my best as much as I'm a very serious, passionate person that I try to not take things too seriously. And also to learn to, to know that life, both work and personal, you can learn from both. And that, that'd be the other thing is, you know, we, we have a young child at home and I've probably learned as much through that experience. 
as I have anything even even at Encino. I was picking up dad vibes from you. We have we have four at home, and so I was like, I mean, I wonder if this guy's a dad. You're amazing dad. That's awesome. A time when I made a powerful choice was. So an example would be I mentioned that you know early on I, I was involved, obviously, in in some cases doing a lot of things in marketing. And I probably realized a couple things very early on. One, that I needed help in events and conferences, and I needed help in public relations and media. And I think it's sometimes, if you're somebody who's kind of a perfectionist and driven, it's sometimes hard to say you need help or no, you know, there's areas of weakness. And for me, the decisions at those early stages of Encino to bring in folks who had conference experience or had PR experience and just were awesome additions very early on to the marketing team may not sound like a big deal, um, but to me, they were, they were big deals because they were really those, those moments in time for us that made a big difference. And those wonderful people are still our significant leaders in marketing at the company still. I love it. Okay. I'm holding my last two questions in my hand. You tell me right hand or left hand. And that's the question we're going with. Ooh, um, from my direction, by the way, I still want to hear how you, you manage four kids because that, that in and of itself and this podcast and, and mission is, is impressive, Jeremy. So <laughs> indeed, indeed, we're, we're going to flip this around in part two. Um, okay. Let's go right. Okay. Few people know that I like to blank. I actually like to do um, tinker with stuff at the house. I, I love, as I mentioned, I love learning. And so there's probably nothing that I don't enjoy doing. So I actually spend a lot of time pulling seaweed off our dock. <laughs> so no, no joke. I'll tell this quick story and then I'll stop boring everyone. We had a, what's called a king tide um, on the coast here the last few days because of the new moon and storm off the shore. And there was a piece of wood that was bumping against our dock and it was bothering me. So this morning at 6.30 a.m., approximately 10 minutes after the sun came up, I got into the water up to my chest, which was 60 degrees. Oh my um, gosh. Get that board out of the water and get it on land because it was bothering me that I was banging the dock. So I guess that's some insight into how kooky I am, but it, it was a great way to start the day. Awesome. Jonathan, this has been a truly exceptional conversation man, truly like one of my favorites. And thanks for making the time to be here today. This was awesome. I really would love to do a part two with you in 2022. If we can make that happen, such an honor. Thank you for being on the show. Anytime, Jeremy, you're, you're an all-star. Thanks for having me. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands. 
to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.